standing along Highway 16 in Wilkes County, North Carolina, at a place that the locals call the Jumping Place. One can take in a beautiful view of the western mountains of North Carolina. It's a vast coverage of trees containing black oak, locust, walnut, hickory, and a few chestnuts. It almost resembles, possibly, what a frontier must have looked like for our 18th century ancestors. Peaceful, serene, beautiful, yet mystical, filled with unfamiliar sounds and possible dangerous elements. The Yakin River flows from the west to the east as it enters into Mount Pleasant and reaches east to Jonesville in present-day Yakin County. A vital waterway today, a vital resource from yesterdays of long ago. Sounds from the winds cascading down the mountain slopes, the waters rustling eastward, the chirps of nearby birds, the grunts and growls of buffalo, elk, mountain lion, wolves, and possibly an owl or two. A heavily wooded forest gets very dark after sunset and the outside campfires illuminate shadows in the black night. But this was also a good sign to the early settlers because it confirmed what they had heard. Unsettled land, fertile land, a fresh start to make new dreams come true with a new life in North Carolina. Hi, this is your friend Carol welcoming you to today's show entitled The Early Days of Mulberry Fields. The first known people into this area were the Sapona tribe, and years later the Cherokee established a summer fortress equipped with a large amount of housing and gardens, all contained on an open field. Later the families traveling to North Carolina from other colonies arrived, and each of these with one goal in mind, survival in the foothills frontier of North Carolina. Today's episode will discuss the land and the people as we travel back in time to 1709 and a young man's journal. We'll move forward to the American Revolutionary War and learn why Mulberry Fields was so important to North Carolina's history and the genealogy of its people. Let's get started with the early days of Mulberry Fields right after this break. Concerned about privacy issues with your family tree? Are you worried about how your family trees are protected while storing them on a public format? If so, I, I recommend that you use Family Historian software. I use it personally to store not only my personal family research, but thousands of surnames, photos, and scanned images from over 30 years of research. My research in Piedmont trails are very important, and I have the peace of mind knowing that all of my hard work is protected and safe with Family Historian software. So research it and look into it, the product, and see if it's right for you. In the meantime, let's all enjoy our journey to the past. Welcome back everyone and thank you for joining me today. If you happen to hear the rustling of papers, then it's my notes that I've got scattered upon my desk as I'm doing the show today. Mulberry Fields is located at a strong 
um, bending turn along the Yakin River near present-day Wilkesboro in Wilkes County. Life there for the Native Americans was filled with fertile soil, fresh water, and mild temperatures for the most part. The Sapona tribe, and I'll spell that for you, it's S-A-P-O-N-A, the Sapona tribe is a Siouan descendant, and they are living in the area as John Lawson, a British explorer, discovers them during 1709. His journal records the wildlife, the plants, and trees. He also records the people, their habits, and even portions of their language. Trade during this time was becoming part of regular life for all of the Native Americans, and this only increased shortly after Lawson's expedition. Lawson reports um, given to the King of England confirms British hold on the lands known as Carolina. In other words, it was extremely important after Lawson's reports to how North Carolina was going to remain with the British hold. And soon history, and because of this, history would be made on the settlement in Wilkes County. At some point before 1730, the Cherokee and possibly other western tribes attacked the Sapona village. And following this attack, smallpox was raging in the coastal areas of North and South Carolina. By way of the tradesmen, the disease spreads like an invisible force upon the Native Americans. All tribes suffer, but it appears that the Sapona tribe was devastated with death. Not yet recovered from the Cherokee attack, the majority of the tribe dwindled heavily until only small numbers remained. It seems that the members who survived joined the Catawba tribe, which was located much further south, and they left the little area in Wilkes County along the Yakin River forever. Soon after 1730, at some point, the bend along the river is given a new name. Instead of it being called Saponi River, the Cherokee now call it the Yakin River, and the Sapona village becomes known as Kiowi. Now this word Kiwi can also be found in areas in South Carolina. If you're familiar with Lake Kiwi, it is well known that it possibly covers the village of a Cherokee town named Kiwi. It was flooded by the creation of a dam that was established by Duke Power Company. Another such um, town has also been discovered near present-day Randolph County in North Carolina. This was noted by a surveyor of Thomas Kitchen, placing the Cherokee town name as Kiwi. John Norton from the 19th century spells the word slightly different from the Kiwi spellings that we see today. And his spelling was K-U-W-A-T-I, which probably sounded more like Kiwati. Another source proclaims the word to mean mulberry. It is true that mulberry trees are found in all of these regions, South Carolina, Randolph County, North Carolina, and in Wilkes County. 
But I am inclined personally to believe that the word simply means a Cherokee village or town. The well-known Kiowi Trail in South Carolina, which I recently wrote articles on at the ending of last year, I took that to mean simply the town trail or the route to the various villages of the Cherokee. Prior to 1740, I have counted and documented at least 16 Cherokee towns east of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and each of these held an important reason for being where they were. Crops were planted in certain times of the year in different areas. Hunting was somewhat treated the same, greatly depending on the weather. At any rate, the Cherokee people were thriving for the first years of the 1730 decade, but history was about to change once again. By the 1740 decade, land was becoming available in North Carolina. This was no secret. Everyone knew all along the eastern seaboard and across the Atlantic. Everyone was talking about North Carolina. Advertisements could be read and heard from the northern colonies to the most southern points. Even though Maryland at this time was offering great deals on their lands and trying to get more and more families to settle their area, North Carolina was considered the prize. It was the chance of a lifetime. It had three things going for it. You could get rich, you could become famous and be respected all at once, which was everything the colonial society was all about. We can only imagine the chatter at the local taverns. Stories being told by the tradesmen who knew the best trails into North Carolina. And these tradesmen coming up with their own schemes of enormous fortitude were exploding and jumping at the chance to make some extra pounds and shillings here and there to guide families on their way. It's no wonder that the largest migration was about to rain down on North Carolina. And everyone wanted a piece of that pie. Surveyors Fry and Jefferson, Kitchen and Mosley, were traveling all throughout the area and exploring and taking their data back home to share with everyone they met. William Byrd was giving land away rent-free if they would just come to the area. I hope that this gives everyone listening today some sort of an example of what North Carolina stood for during the first national migration of our history. Mulberry Fields, still known as Kiowee for now, is a mostly flat level meadow. It's free from abundance of large trees and vegetation. It has tall thin grasses resting along the banks of the Yakin. The areas surrounding the fields are rocky. They're heavily wooded and in some places they're swampy. Many areas you have thick overbrush, thickets, and rolling hills, but there were valleys in between, and these valleys were the gold mines of the lands. Christopher Gist is one of the first families to settle in this area. He is a very well-known surveyor, uh, a guide, a tradesman, um, mountain man, He has his spot already picked out years before 1750 
and is located just slightly north and to the west of the mulberry fields. The places just saw and experienced deserves great recognition. I may have a show about Christopher Gist and his family on the podcast just solely dedicated to him. But he was born in 1706 in Baltimore, Maryland. And in my opinion, he was a very well-educated man. I say this by the use of his words describing the western frontiers. He traveled all throughout Kentucky, Ohio, Tennessee, West Virginia, western sections of Virginia, and western sections of Pennsylvania. Our focus today is how GIST relates to the mulberry fields. I have not been able to actually pinpoint the exact date of his arrival to the area with his family. However, GIST himself leaves clues for everyone in his personal journals. And as he was returning home after an expedition for the Ohio Company in 1751, he writes of his travels home during the month of May, and he arrives on the 19th to find his family gone. An elderly man informs him that his wife and children have traveled to Roanoke due to Cherokee attacks in the area, which killed five residents close by. Just stays the night in his home and departs for Roanoke the next day. He writes in his journal, May 20th, he travels to Roanoke and due to a clear path which now exists, he arrives by nightfall and finds his family all well. So how far is Wilkesboro to Roanoke, Virginia? The quickest route in present day is I-77. And it consists of approximately about 154 miles. A clear path indeed with a man traveling fast best describes Christopher Gist. A two-hour trip today, estimating Gist leaving before sunrise and uh, arriving sometime after dark, I would, I would have to take a guess a 12 to a 14-hour trip in 1751. So what are the clues to where Gist's home site would have been along the Yakin? Here again, the journal gives the clues. And they state this. The home located north side of the Yakin and west side of the stream called Saw Mill Creek, near the west end of Reddy's Creek River, near the heart of present-day Wilkesboro, which is the location of Mulberry Fields. It appears that Gist traveled through the Flower Gap, which is located at the state line of Virginia and North Carolina, covering Surrey County and Carroll Counties. A clear path through this area. Was this the actual route of the Great Wagon Road? The journal also states a fort located at Mulberry Fields to shelter families from Native American attacks. These journals are priceless and you can find a portion of them online. Not all, but you can find a portion of them. Um, they range in date from 1748 to 1753-54, and they prove that other families were living in the area during the year of 1751. The question is, is who are they? Now, referring back to Christopher Jess Journal, dated May 20th of 1751 and May 19th of 1751. 
He returns home to find his family gone. An elderly gentleman steps up to him and informs him of where his family is located. They are located in Roanoke, Virginia. After the attack by the Cherokee, of whom killed five people in the vicinity. This is proof that families have already living in the area and are settled in the year 1751. So who are they? One is by a man by the, with the surname of Owens. His cabin is actually marked on several survey maps. Some of these maps are included with kitchens, Thomas Kitchens maps, um, Jefferson and Fry's maps, and several others. There is no indication of his first given name, but he is definitely located just east and south of the Mulberry Fields area. I believe this gentleman to be named as Barnett Owens, but further research will be needed in order to clarify that. Another early settler would be Morgan Bryan. Morgan Bryan was very serious when he made up his mind to travel to North Carolina. He arrived in 1748. He's a known tradesman, a known guide, and a known surveyor. Did he happen to know Christopher Gist? I would say he most likely did and was very, um, very well acquainted with Christopher Gist. Morgan Bryan was born during the late 17th century. He was married by 1719 in Chester County, Pennsylvania. He lives for a time in Virginia and then travels further south into North Carolina. He purchases, he applies for land grants, several of them, all throughout the years, beginning in 1752, noted in Anson County. And one, several of these tracts contain the Mulberry Fields section in present-day Wilkes County. The Bryan lands extend from present into present-day Moxville in Davie County. This entire area is later known as portions of the Bryan settlement. Another surname dating to this time period in the early 1750s would be Linville. And Bryan family mentions the Linville family. And I do believe that they have traveled together into North Carolina. Their families are married into each other as well. William Bryan is a very close friend to William Linville, and they both go and embark on a hunting expedition into the Blue Ridge Mountains, where they are attacked by the Cherokee, and William Linville is killed during the year 1768. William Bryan survives the attack and he's able to return home and share his story. Another possible surname would be Enox and I'm going to spell this for you as E-N-O-C-H-S. There's new evidence that's beginning to emerge about this particular family and its surname in the Mulberry Fields area. It seems that Rebecca Bryan marries into this family. And in order for that to happen at the date that the marriage occurred, they would have had to have been established there very early. Now, as the years move forward, we arrive now to the year 1754. And we run across the name of Henry Cossart. 
and I'm going to spell that because I'm not sure if I'm saying it correctly to you. It's C-O-S-S-A-R-T. He applies for a land grant containing mulberry fields, and it, this grant is issued on November 12th of 1754. The amount of the acreage is 4,933 acres. You can find this grant in Book 11, Page 7, Grant 110. Now, we've already just proven the existence of families and other grants issued on this exact location of Mulberry Fields dating years before 1754. We know that families are there. But then when we look into the Moravian Diaries, we only see one surname mentioned in their diaries during their expedition of 1752, and that's the surname of Owens. And the Moravian Diaries go on to say that they don't see any inhabitants on the land. In accordance to Christopher Gist's journal, there is definitely a fort established in the Mulberry Fields area, and this is established just for the safety of local families in the emergency of a Cherokee attack taking place. So what are the details of this Henry Cossart's grant? He never sets foot in the in North Carolina ever. He never visits the land. He ne he he only applies for the grant and has issued the grant. And it is stated that he is a agent for the Moravians. The Moravians proclaim him as an agent for them. Now some of you may be asking yourself, how can this grant be valid? when we've already proven other grants from North Carolina colony stating otherwise. This is a, a very important subject um, that goes deep into Wilkes County's history and the lands of Mulberry Fields. And I'm planning to have a much thorough investigation um, and research into this and provide you all hopefully with some good facts and moving forward and maybe determining exactly what happened to your ancestors if they were living there prior to that to this occurring and maybe giving you possible reasons on why they left the area. At any rate, Cossart, Henry Cossart dies in 1763 and it leaves tons of questions about the actual land. I'm sure everyone has heard of the Moravian Expedition of 1752. If you not, I encourage you all to research it. You can find it easily online in many, many different formats. I'm also sure that everyone has either read or are aware of the Moravian Diaries. And if you're not, um, I encourage you to, to research those as well. The Moravians were a group that were searching for land just like everyone else. It, there's just one exception. They were wanting a lot of land and they wanted the best that was available as well. Now two surveys were conducted by the Moravians as they moved and traveled through their expedition of 1752. One is called an upper section survey and one's called a lower section survey. Be mindful of these surveys if you are researching your ancestors in the Wilkes and Yakin County areas. 
and listen carefully to the clues and hints that I share with you today. The Moravian Archives are your best location to retrieve maps, letters, and the diaries in their complete form. Not partial form, but complete form. This group of Moravians were business smart with friends in high-ranking British positions. Not only did they seek a huge quantity of land, but they were also seeking means of capital gains in order to thrive strongly in North Carolina with their settlements. Now I will have much more on the Moravians coming soon on the website. And also, don't be surprised by your findings and grasp the facts with copies and documentations of the materials. The original acreage of the Moravians was just over 73,000 acres. It wasn't until years later that it was added to a new total of 93,000 acres. Either way you slice it, that is a huge piece of the pie. Okay, now if you do um, look into the surveys and the diaries, if you visit the archives, the majority of the diaries are in German unless they have been completely transcribed since my last visit, which has been several years now. Um, I happened to purchase an old German to English book over 20 years ago from a local book fair and the book was actually published in 1910 and I think I only paid a couple of dollars for it but that book is priceless to me when it comes to researching German documents and materials. It has been a treasure in itself. Another surname that I failed to mention earlier would be Boone, and Squire Boone also um, lived for a brief time near Gist and Owens and Bryan and the Linville families. Daniel Boone was fascinated with Kentucky, a place that Gist had already visited several times, and I'm sure through the years of Daniel growing up through his teenage years to adulthood, adulthood he would have embarked on some interesting conversations with Christopher Gist. During 1758, there were several churches existed near the Mulberry Fields area. These were early Baptist churches. One was located at the Shallow Ford along Yakin River. It was simply called Shallow Ford, and Joseph Murphy was the minister. This particular church had two branches, and they were located at Mulberry Fields and at the Yakin Fork, where the little Yakin joins in. Murphy's assistants were David Messers, David Allen, and John Cates. By 1771, the memberships of these churches grew to 185 members. Now, that was during the year 1771. During the year 1775, a Tory paper released a statement known as the Protest. This document condemned all activities of the Patriots. The leader of these churches at that time was William Cook, and William Cook decided to sign the Protest in agreement. Well, at the completion of his signing, the Rowan Committee of Safety brought William Cook before them and demanded an explanation with his actions in signing the protest. After this, memberships to the churches greatly declined. 
and many in fact many uh families during this time were beginning to embark westward anyway but the church memberships greatly declined as far as the mulberry meeting house i believe it was present before the 1760 decade and evidence is leaning more and more towards the building being part of the fort that Christopher Gist talks about in his personal journals. Okay, let's wrap the show up. Be sure to visit the website at PiedmontTrails.com for more links and information about the early days of Wilkes County. I want to personally thank you for joining me and wish you great success with your research. Share the podcast with your friends and family and encourage new conversations about our ancestors. But most of all, Enjoy your journey to the past.